This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Thursday show where I have a conversation with someone in the food world I think you will want to hear more from. He is the managing partner and co-founder of Savory Fund, Andrew Smith. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on this amazing Monday. Well, thanks for doing this. Let me just kind of start at the beginning. Can you just explain what Savory Fund is? Because I think, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with it. Yeah, Savory Fund was uh, was created out of my uh, my restaurant operations company called Four Foods Group. We were, we were a firm called Four Foods Group that started in the great uh, financial crash of 2008. It was the perfect time to start a new company, right? So 2008, we started a company... My wife actually was the founder of Four Foods Group. She started her first restaurant, wanted to get into all things restaurants. And at the point in time that uh, the financial crash was happening, I was actually um, on my third tech company and running a tech company as a CEO. And my wife started in the restaurant industry in 2008. Um, It was perfectly the wrong time. But the thing that was so impressive to us is that it was unbelievably busy uh, at her restaurant, even in the middle of the financial crash. And I decided six months later after I sold my business to join my wife in the food and beverage industry. And we started with one restaurant and then we set a moonshot and uh, decided to open up a couple more and then set another moonshot. And within 10 years had built and owned and operated about 180 restaurants across 11 states. Um, We pivoted about five years ago, Eric, and we created a, a, a private equity firm called Savory. What one thing we knew is we knew how to be really good operators. We knew how to build and, and operate restaurants and to create profitable businesses. But what we realized is that there was a lot of emerging brands that would get to about four, five, six, seven units, and then they would stop growing because they didn't know or had the skill set on knowing where you go from there. And so we saw a chasm in the market. And what we decided to do is to take our entire operations team, which is about 80 people in our office, raised a $100 million fund one for Savory in 2020, bought five brands, uh, have partnered with those founders. So the founders stay in each of the brands with us. We buy a majority stake. And then we help grow and scale those brands by putting in the right people, process, and systems. And then we raised another fund in January of 2021 for another $100 million and bought five more brands. And then we are on our third fund that we just kicked off about a month ago for $200 million, And we'll go buy an eight or nine brands uh, with that fund. So that's who Savory is. I got to say, that is an astonishing amount of money. I barely know how to conceive of, of that kind of money. <laughs> it's a lot of money. I'll tell you, you know, the interesting thing is, is that uh, it's hard to spend it when you have it, but to believe it, believe it or not, <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> I mean, talk a little more about that initial business. What were these restaurants you created that you, you went from, like you said, three or four units to 180 uh, over the course of 10 years? 
Yeah, we were franchisees of a brand that had been around for about a decade. They had five units and it was called Neater's Bakery and Cafe. It was a bakery, a cafe concept, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, scratch baked, uh, freestanding restaurants with about 4,200 square feet of size, drive through on them. And so we started with, I think, one of the most complicated or complex restaurants on the planet, which is bakeries, because you're making that stuff fresh every single day. You have skilled laborers. But we, we started with one of the better brands that we could find out there. And we built 50 of those over about a seven and a half, eight year span. So like I said, we we set a moonshot to do five of them and then we built five and they were successful. And then we did another five and those were successful and continue to build our team behind us of uh, operational excellence. And we uh, we did that in about seven years into our history. We had an opportunity with the Little Caesars company to buy a big block of restaurants down in the Southeast. And so we bought 48 restaurants to start within uh, Little Caesars. And then we built or opened um, dozens more where we got to about 87 of them and then ended up selling those and the Neaters Bakery and Cafe Concept restaurants uh, back in 2007 and kicked off uh, Savory in 2008 where we bought into some emerging brands that had anywhere from three restaurants to seven restaurants, and then have been on that that new plan of growing and scaling emerging brands ever since. All right. So as you said, you, you raised all this money, you started buying restaurant brands. How do you identify what's a good, what's a good fit for a savory fund restaurant? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's really one, one of the first questions everybody asks. And my answer would say this it would be the same every single time. And that is, I'm a consumer also, right? Like I, I eat the cheese, man. Like I, I got to go in there and I got to eat it just like you do, Eric, every place you go, you know, when you leave, you're like, you know what? There's something really good about that place. The food was great. The experience was great. The sights, the sounds, the smells, you're kind of feeling like it was the it factor when you leave a restaurant, right? Like we all know it, we've all done it as consumers and as patrons. And so we're no different as a, as a private equity firm, we're also operators and we're restaurateurs and we're foodies. And so sometimes we'll fall into these restaurants where we're out on the road looking at a different restaurant that we're interested in. And then on the way out of town, we'll go hit a couple other restaurants that are cool and hip that we hear about. And we'll leave and go, oh my gosh, that just blew our minds. It has the it factor. We got to con- we got to contact the founders. So first and foremost, it's got to have kind of that it factor. It's got to be something that's on the come. It's unique. It stands out. Food's got to be great. Experience has got to be great. Um, but the, the real premise to an investment by Savory is the founders. You know, when we meet with founders, it's pretty quick for us to know early on in the conversation with them if they're in it for the right reasons, if they're founders that we feel like we could back and that we would get along with because it's a long marriage, right? When you get involved, you're together for you know four, five, six, seven, eight years, maybe. Now, that's a long relationship to be in where it's going to be hard. It's a lot of work required. And so you you do have to have a good relationship with great founders. And then the deciding factor, too, is are the founders in a position where they want to create a legacy brand, so build it into multiple states regionally, or do they really want to just be in this for a lifestyle? And it's a very different business model, right? Lifestyle brand is add a couple units, take distributions out of that business, go buy a boat, summer home, you know, go out to the lake every day at two o'clock to ski. That's a lifestyle business. And when Savory gets involved, we don't build lifestyle businesses. We build legacy businesses, businesses that will be around for 20, 30 years, well beyond us, and grow into multiple regions within the United States. And you have to really create an enterprise level management team and systems and technology to support it and 
put the time and energy behind the marketing and branding of that business. And it's a different game than a lifestyle business. So we decipher between those two of those. And they want to build a legacy business with us. Then we sync a deal up, we consummate a transaction, and then we're partners. We're typically a little over a majority position when we buy in and the, the founders are with us. We require that. And we work hand in hand as a new partnership to grow it to the next you know, 50 unit stage. That's what we do. Now, right. You said that you could be involved for four, five, six, seven years. What happens at the end of that term? Is there an exit for the founders and and then they go on and do whatever they want to do or? Yeah, there's, a, there's an exit for the founders and for our LP, you know, for our investors. And so, you know, as we get to the point where we have kind of seen our, or, or we've executed our plan, which is to build something from, let's call it five to 50. You know, it really is a different skill set too, Eric, to go from 50 to 500. It's a different game. It's a different skill set. And there's people much better than that or much more qualified, let's say that, much more qualified than I am to take every one of these brands to that new scale. And so you find another private equity firm that's done it with other brands. Um, You look for family offices that have an interest in cash flowing assets because they're very stable and resilient to markets. I mean, we, we think about the world we've lived in, Eric, in the last four years. I mean, it's just crazy if you really think about it. And I don't want to pick it apart because we all we all lived it. But it's been a really tumultuous four years, right? And because of the last three and a half, four years, if you look at the food and beverage industry, it's still resilient. It's still stable. Still people can make cash. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that like cash flowing assets. And so for that reason, there's people that will buy into this, put in additional team members and grow it from five, you know, 50 to 500. So we really are not the startup, you know, venture guys. We're 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 not the guys that have an idea and create. There's a lot of groups out there that will create. One of my uh, good friends and and I think someone that's probably the best in the business is Randy and Jack Gibbons with Front Burner uh, Restaurants, um, FB Society. Um, I think is what they're called now. But they're some of the best creators I've ever seen. Right? They created Velvet Taco and sold that off, and they've got several other brands that I look at and go, they're brilliant on creating concepts. And that's just not what Savory is. We would be ones that would want to buy one of their brands and then scale it to the next size because they're creators. So I respect everybody that are creators, but we're not the creators. We're the scale guys in between. And then the guys that really take it to kind of a national presence, um, that that would be someone else as well. We're kind of the guys in between. Yeah. So that's like a, you know, I think about like, um, Oh, the guy Sam Fox, right? Like he sold just he like sold Sam. his he sold his restaurants to Cheesecake Factory, right? That That's was kind of his. So That's that that would be like a very ideal outcome for yes. you would be very, to take a very ideal outcome. But you know, he sold his whole portfolio. He kept a couple of his brands, but Sam has done impeccably well creating great concepts that have the it factor. And someone that I to this day respect a lot. Sam has done an incredible job. Um, but yeah, he sold it off to Cheesecake Factory and Cheesecake Factory. They have a, they have an operation set up so that they can build it nationwide and even internationally. So that's why they, that's why he did it that way. Right. All right. So, so let's, let's get a little bit specific. I mean, you, I guess what, about a year ago partnered with Saigon Hustle, which I think people may know here locally, a a Vietnamese restaurant, fast, casual drive-through component. How did, how did you identify Saigon Hustle? as a restaurant that was a good fit for you? Cause, cause that's only, you know, one unit at least so far. Yeah. So we, we don't ever invest into something that's one unit. I mean, I, I can't say never cause we just did with them, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but what we did a couple of years ago is we, we wanted to help as many people as we could. And we, we just can't, you can't help everybody because you know, it's impossible to, to be effective helping too many people. 
So what we did is we decided to do a, a $1 million restaurant launch, which is find someone that had a great idea or someone that had gone out of business and couldn't make it or someone that had one unit and was really looking to grow and scale, but the pandemic slowed them down. So we did a contest, actually, Eric. Um, we launched it nationwide. It was called the $1 million restaurant launch. Uh, we have a website about it. And we had several hundred restaurateurs apply. And it was either an idea or it was someone that had troubles during the pandemic or it was someone that had just opened one unit but was looking for more back backing support and understanding of how to scale it to maybe unit two. It got down to 12 and then we got it down to six. And then we had a committee look through them all and went and met with several of these different founder groups face to face. I mean, we really put a, a hard earned effort into this. And when we met with the two founders, um, Cassie and Sandy out of Houston at their first location, it just was, it was a magical conversation. It's a magical brand. Um, what they're doing with that, that with that venue, the Vietnamese food in a drive-through setting, QSR with a really cool hip, you know, name and angle. There's just nothing like it. We've never seen anything like it. So we formed a partnership. We invested a million dollars. Uh, we've got a store right now being built in Houston for their second store, but our first together. And we're already looking for stores two, three, and four in the Houston market because we believe it's going to be successful. So we're not, we're just leaning in on the gas pedal anyway. <laughs> All right. And then the other one I, I want to ask you about specifically, you know, I was looking at your brands. I don't think you really have a presence in Houston yet, but it's coming. It Oh boy, it, it's coming, man. So we, we have... Um, uh, Saigon Hustle that we're of course growing there. We're bringing Austin's beloved brand via 313 Pizzeria, which is a Detroit style concept to Houston right now. We're actually building three stores right now, Baybrook, Houston Heights, and Paraland. So we have three of them that are going up right now with many more on the way or Sugarland. So we're doing Sugarland. Well, in Memorial, right? There's a- And Memorial. Yes, in Memorial. So I guess we have four. <laughs> <laughs> Memorial's being built right now. And that's being built right next to another one of our brands called Pincho, which is out of Miami, uh, which is a spectacular brand. Um, they just came over from Miami and we have one open in Cyprus. Um, we have one that's being opened right next to the Pincho or the, next to the Via 313 in Memorial, right between the Via 313 and the Velvet Taco, our good friends at Velvet Taco. Um, we have a Pincho going in right there. So Pincho's coming there. And then we also have Hash Kitchen which is an AM eatery, a breakfast concept that is beyond words, the best thing I've ever had ever. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and that's coming from Scottsdale, Arizona to Houston now. We're building uh, multiple in Houston there as well. And then we also have um, Swig, which is our beverage concept that we actually are still owners of, but we sold a majority to a large family office just last year. They're coming to Houston with about a dozen stores right now. So they're opening up. There's our QSR. And then we also have um, our Hawaiian concept called Mobetas, which is, if you were to, and I were to say it in English terms, it's more better. But in uh, in the in the Hawaiian ways, it's Mobetas. And we have 48 of those units, but we're bringing a half a dozen of those units to Houston as well. So Savory is investing tens of millions of dollars into Houston over the next 16 months, 18 months. Uh, and Houston, I, I think I'm going to just call myself a Houstonian now because I like Houston that much. Well, good. You know, we we like to be fluffed up a little bit. Andrew Smith, sure. I mean, tell Who us something like that. <laughs> tell, tell me, tell me what specifically about Houston made it seem like the right venue for all of these restaurant brands as you as you grow them. 
You know, we look at the whole United States as a backdrop. We use technology when it looks for the demographics that we're searching for, from families to ethnicity to, you know, socioeconomic um, uh, things that are powerful that support brands and, and new concepts. I mean, we look at a lot of data. And one of the things I like about the Houston market, it's a business-friendly uh, market. I mean, you usually go to any of the cities, they want you there. Boy, there's other cities in America if they could just get an understanding of how Houston's been doing it. And, and even some of your surrounding brothers and sisters in in uh, maybe Dallas or even San Antonio, they're business-friendly. They want the economic growth, and people are flooding into those markets for that reason. We like the uh, the move-ins. I mean, you guys have a lot of move-ins into Houston every single month and every single year. You're probably feeling that on your freeways, Eric, and I'm sure that you're probably cursing a little bit. But um, at the end of the day, we just like the economic growth in that market, number one. Two, business-friendly. Three, it's kind of a foodie town. You guys like to eat. Let's let's be honest. Let, I mean, I'm from Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago, Eric. We like to eat there. Like it's you don't cook at home. I mean, we might snack at home, but you eat out three squares a day. And I feel like a, a lot of that is happening in Houston as well. That people enjoy eating out. It's part of their life. It's part of their social interaction with their friends and family members, and and they create memories by eating across the table a good meal or having a good drink. So that's why we like Houston a lot. Yeah, I, you know, obviously I'm the most familiar with Via 313 because I've, I've been there in Austin. Talk a little bit about kind of your your plans to bring Via 313 to Houston and and just expand on that just a little bit more. Because I, I think, you know, if, the, if there's any of them that, that people listening to this are familiar with, it, it's that that brand in particular. Yeah, Via 313, you know, Via 313 stands for by the way of cuz Via is Spanish for be, by the way of, but it's a word that people understand. It's a it's a it's a route. But by the way of 313, which I'm from Chicago and our area code is 312. So the first time I ever saw and I speak Spanish too. So the first time I ever saw Via 313, I'm like by the way of Detroit because I knew their zip code. I'm like it must be Detroit style pizza. So so that everybody can hear that it's it's Via 313 by the way of Detroit. My two founder partners are Brandon and Zane Hunt. They are uh, they live in Austin. Uh, they have been there for about 14 years. They moved down from Detroit, born and raised in Detroit. You know, grandparents, parents lived or worked in the factories. You know, they had the Detroit life, and they grew up eating this square rectangular pan pizza, right? Deep dish, more of a focaccia, spongy base. Uh, all the ingredients first, and then the sauce on top after it's been baked. It's just a very different type of pizza and, and experience. Well, when they got down to Houston, or to Austin, they they worked in two different businesses. Uh, Brandon was in uh, you know some bars, working at some bars, and and uh, his brother Zane was working at a tech company. And they said, you know, there's no pizza like we ate at home. And just so you know, back then it was just called pizza. When you're in Chicago, you don't call it Chicago deep dish pizza. You just call it pizza, right? <laughs> Let's go get a pizza. Let's go get a pie. And for them, it was the same way. It's like, let's just go get a pizza. Well, when they they opened up their first uh, couple's trailers in Austin, they had to tell people, this is Detroit-style pizza. And so my partners, Brandon and Zane, were the first to coin Detroit-style pizza outside of Detroit, just so you know. And that was, of course, many years ago before I was even in the scene. Um, when we got together and we, we formed our partnership, was super excited about that because I would say that the last meal I would ever have before I had to go meet my maker would be a pizza. And I think it now would be a Via 313 pizza, a Detroiter. You got to get a Detroiter pizza to the Via 313. It's the best pizza on the planet. But um, I said, where do we go? And they said, well, we could go here. We could go there, whatever. But one of our number one requested locations to go is in Houston. 
I said, really? And they go, yeah, people that visit Austin from Houston, they're like, you got to come to Houston. So we've heard that for years and years. Now, it hasn't been the first place that we've gone. We came to Salt Lake City, Utah, because we saw an opportunity from a real estate standpoint. Houston's had a little bit of a struggle with real estate, new real estate and good real estate coming out of the ground. It's now catching up. So we signed deals several years ago, and those are just barely now coming to fruition. But we signed to Houston because of customer feedback. We also did a study with some technology, some some, uh, real estate technology, and that you look kind of the, the heat maps for what your demographic is in, in Austin and who's walking through your door. Where does that overlay in the United States? And where we're seeing that overlay is Houston, San Antonio, where we're going as well, Dallas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Arizona, and Utah. Oh, and Vegas. So those are the heat maps for that type of a customer that wants that type of a product that's walking in the stores now. So most of those states are on the map already, if not already under construction. And, and it's got to help a little bit that we in Houston seem to have a deep affection for Austin brands. If you think about Pluckers or Torchies or even Uchi, we're, we're very receptive to restaurants oh, that yeah. want to come come east. Yeah, I think that you guys are more receptive to it than your friends at the north. <laughs> yeah. The friends of the north, they, they kind of don't love the people coming from the south up to their city. And I don't know why that really is. And so we might hop skip over that, which we have done and gone to some of these other states that really like things from Texas. So we're going to Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Vegas first. But we are for sure going south into the into the east. Well, we're, we're weirdly hostile to Dallas-based brands with the the very prominent exception of Velvet Taco, that's obviously been yeah, Velvet's uh, very successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Velvet's great. One of my favorite uh, shops out there, and uh, they do it. They do an impeccable job. And then just tell me about Hash Kitchen because I look at that breakfast space and I see so many other players, and I'm I'm not going to rattle them off for you, but oh yeah, that has gotten incredibly competitive in the last say five years or so. How do you make that decision knowing that you're you're going to be going head to head against uh, so many other restaurants and and well-funded restaurants for that matter? Yeah, I would say this. Um, well, based on that comment, I would say um, Hash Kitchen is also extremely well-funded because <laughs> we're at the <laughs> <laughs> um, But two, the thing that we did when we looked in those spaces, we saw there's a lot of diners. There's a lot of one-off breakfast spots that are kind of the institutional place for a neighborhood, which we really respect and we all, I even love to. You know, you have the people that are trying to reinvent themselves a bit with IHOP and Denny's. Um, Original Pancake House has done a lights out job. They've done a great job too. You have Snooze that's done an incredible job and I respect them. And I even know one of the co-founders, Adam, very well. And I respect the hell out of him. He's a great dude. Everybody kind of has their position right now and even First Watch and their demographic and their their customer. Yeah, Snooze, First Watch, Toasted Joke were the the big three that came to mind. You put all of those guys together and they have a very similar food fair venue, diner feel, um, breakfast feel. Then you take Hash Kitchen. And Hash Kitchen, if you look at anything online or you look at our menu, it is over the top type of food with a completely chef driven view on it. And so instead of just doing something that's a breakfast sandwich and some bacon, you know, we have a breakfast sandwich that's a breakfast sandwich. And some bacon, but in a very specific way, because we call it billionaire bacon. And it's a thicker piece of bacon that has this syrup drizzle on it that is made in back house with gold flakes on it. And when you eat it, it blows your mind. It's not just a piece of crispy bacon. So that's to give you an example of it. Over the top, we just have gone a step further because my partner is Chef 
Joey Maggiore from the Maggiore Group in Scottsdale, and he's he's a concept creator like Sam Fox. He's got unbelievable concepts, and don't want to just lure you in because it's a cool breakfast shop. He wants to overwhelm you with the quality of food and the types of food. So where we go head to head with anybody else, where we kind of step to the side and say we're kind of in our own food venue entirely with Hash Kitchen is the look and the feel and the sights and the sounds when you're in there are unlike anything else. It is literally a party. And to be honest, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we have DJs. It is loud. It is over the top. You have parties. You have people in there dancing. You have bachelorette parties in there you have birthday parties going on in there it's a party and the food's over the top but it's excellent food too because it's chef driven so it just goes against the normal diner feel which there's there's a whole customer base for that but there are customers looking for i want to start off the day right and i want to start it off fun and that's hash kitchen and and let me just ask you about one other thing i I know i know your schedule's tight you know sometimes we hear about these vc firms coming in and it's it's colloquial, but but Whataburger seems just a little bit worse since it got bought. Because, you know, VCs, we think cost cutting and uh, economies of scale and, and all that kind of stuff. It sounds like you're a little bit different, but I just we explain to me, explain yeah, me to me how why. explain to me how you're different. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you why we're different, because I'm a founder and I'm an operator and that's all I know how to be. I, that's what I've been for 25 years. I founded my tech companies, operated them, ran them. We have bought into brands when they were early on, We but owned our restaurants. We operated them every day. We dealt with our customers. We dealt with the patrons. We listened to them. We pivoted based on what they told us. And even to this day, we wake up in the morning and think, we have a new restaurant opening. We have this restaurant right now that's struggling and we need to help it. We need to get our teams over here to help with reviews on this one. We have to help with experience in that one. We're we're managing all of our restaurants across the country, which we have 180 of them open right now within the portfolio. And we're adding 50 more right now across the country. And we think operations. Most investors, I would agree with you, they invest and they're finance people that they can go back to their office and then they just look at data, 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 data. And I'm not saying that we don't do decisions based on data. I'm saying they look at data and they say, how can we get another 1% of profit here? Well, take all the food out of the, ha- the business and go put it into a commissary kitchen or go order it from some co-packer to make it for me. Guess what? You and I know the next time we go in, they're like, oh, it tastes a little different. Like I used to love this and it tastes different. It's because they're looking for ways to cut costs to make a little bit better margin. So it looks like they did something with the business that was better. I'm opposite that. When I say I, I am savory. Savory looks at things and says, whatever's working, don't touch it. You don't touch it, no matter how smart we think we are. Don't touch it. We're buying in because it's working. What we do is the things you don't see. A technology to help schedule employees better. Um, A technology to help be more loyal to the customers to make sure that we communicate with them on their birthdays and anniversaries. Uh, Touch credit card fees and transaction fees. Put better KPIs in place so that they can make better decisions in the stores to satisfy the guests. We do all the things behind the scenes that doesn't touch the, the taste, the sights, the sounds, the smells. Like I said, we don't touch that. We replicate what's working, but we don't touch what we bought. That's how we're different. And then tell me a little bit about kind of what's next for you. Are there, is there a certain style of restaurant that you have your eye on? Are there uh, certain styles of food? I mean, do you, do you, it seems like you're, you're kind of in that kind of casual, fast, casual mode. Do you, do you have like fine dining aspirations? How, what's, what's next for you? 
Well, for, from a personal standpoint, I'd love to own a couple of fine dining establishments because I like to go out and have a nice meal with, you know, my teams and my wife for anniversaries and stuff. But no, I think that fine dining is a, is a, it's a category that I would say that is not my forte. And I don't think my investors love it. Uh, my investors feel like the sector that's more resilient is casual dining. Um, so tableside service, fast casual, maybe even a little bit better than fast casual. It's called polished casual, right? A little bit better quality. And then quick serve, like we like QSR. We have a couple of QSR brands now and Swig, you know, they have 57 units open now. They've just franchised 430 of them. Those are coming out to every everywhere in the, the US over the next couple of years. That's a QSR brand and it's crushing it. But at the end of the day, we like that segment. What's, what's next for us is Fund 3 just got launched. We have one brand that's under contract right now to, to acquire next month. So you'll see that announcement here shortly. And that's in the QSR realm. But we're looking for in Fund 3 to add brands that are Mexican uh, flavor profile, um, Asian, so Chinese, Vietnamese, even Thai, we like a lot. Um, we feel like um, the better for you concepts, not healthy. When I say better for you, where you can eat a nice meal, it still tastes amazing, but it's not as caloric as other things. That is a fare that people are looking for more often. We saw that with Seasons 52 with Darden Restaurant. Seasons 52 is still doing an incredible job where you can go and eat a, a normal meal, but it's not as many calories as normal. And that's starting to catch more mainstream. You go to the healthy, healthy ones where you feel like you're a rabbit eating. Those don't typically last because people like to eat food that tastes good. So we just like the better for you concepts as well. So we have a lot of different concepts we're looking at right now to fill those those buckets, but definitely Mexican, which we don't have in the other two portfolios yet, and then some more Asian influence as well. Just like you said, Wu Chow. Like I like things like that, to be honest. Yeah. Is there is there anything that you're just like, I don't want any piece of that? Like, like, you know, I think about Texas barbecue, right? With the equipment yeah, and never the touched that. high yeah. cost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not, not I won't touch Texas barbecue. I would say that. That the boys down there in bar in, in Texas have done done Texas barbecue well. I don't need to go prove anything. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I would say I will bow to them and say I respect you. I think Franklin's has knocked it out of the park. Why go try to compete with someone like him or or even a, a Rudy's or someone like that? You know, so not Texas barbecue. I think the other thing that we're probably going to stay away from right now, like I said, is fine dining, and then. I would say fast casual pizza. I think fast casual pizza has been done and overdone. And I think that it's seen its time. Unfortunately, friends of mine at both of the big shops out there, I think they're seeing traffic go way down because I think people are kind of tired of that type of food and that type of quality. They want better quality. They'd rather go sit down and have a casual experience with better quality on that pizza um, than fast food pizza. So I would probably stay away from that as well. Yeah, it's it's just not that good as a it's consumer. Not, like it's just it's, it's like, not, not good enough. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a pizza snob. I told you that, Eric. I'm from Chicago. I like a, I like a nice pie and have good quality, right? And then I think the last thing is, too, is I probably stay away from coffee shops. I think there's a lot of coffee shops right now that have come on, on the scene, and they're all kind of just you know stealing from each other's wallet share of what they're getting of the wallet share of the consumer. And I think that it's oversaturated. And everybody says, well, we have a different bean, and we roast it a different way, and everybody loves us. And I'm like, you know, coffee is very saturated and I think coffee shops are becoming more and more too, they're just, they're too competitive. So we probably stay away from coffee. Uh, Andrew, I, I've reached the end of my questions. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? No, I would just say that, you know, as far as Houston goes, and I know that this is kind of a target for Houston as we're excited to be there and to be uh, 
not only customers of the community ourselves with all the teams, but, you know, we plan on hiring thousands of people and new team members in Houston. So we want to find the best, best leaders, best team members, but also for all the other Houstonians that are out there that are restaurateurs. We're here to help you if we can. And also we would love to to help the best Houston brands that started in Houston scale to new heights and new levels. And so hopefully we'll meet as many as we can as we're down in Houston more and more in the coming years. All right. When will we be eating at the first Via 313? The first Via 313 will probably be, I, I want to say this, but I just think with how supplies for construction are just so hard right now still in the world, I was going to say right before Christmas, but it'll probably be in January. So we're, we're going to do a pizza feast, but most likely in January Memorial. All right. Well, we will look forward to that. Andrew Smith, give us the, the website for Savory Fund so people can follow yeah, it's along. just uh, savoryfund.com, S-A-V-O-R-Y-F-U-N-D.com, savoryfund.com. All right. Andrew, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Eric. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.